Welcome to another episode of Monster Dear Monster. I'm your host, Dave, and I am joined as usual by Cameron. How's it going, Cameron? Yeah, it's going pretty well. Uh, happy to be here again. Excellent. We are, we're down a man. Um, Matt uh, wasn't able to join us today, so you'll have to make do with, uh, with the two of us for now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's off exploring the beautiful British countryside from what I've seen. Yeah, he was sending some nice uh, nice photos. Mmm, um, lucky bastard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, even though he's not here, he's here in spirit, because we mm. are still going to be do- doing <laughs> the yokai of the week. Ooh. I love Ooh. this. My favorite <laughs> segment. <laughs> All right, uh, I guess uh, we'll... We'll roll the dice for our entry of this week. Here we go. Uh, Today we're doing the B section, and we're looking at number five. Uh, Which is... (laughs) Hmm. Uh, We are looking at the Basan. Is that how you say that? Basan? (laughs) But but not like Basan, because that's like a... No, no, no grandma, yeah. (laughs) Um, Uh, Oh, I like this illustration. Uh, So the Basan is (laughs) is a... um, I'm sorry, people who speak Japanese, I'm not great at this. Uh, uh, Is a fowl-like bird with origins stemming from Japanese mythology and folklore, illustrated in in Tekahara Shunsen's Ehon Hyaku Monogatari and the Gazu Hyaki Yagyo. Uh, it's said to live in the mountains of the Iyo province, uh, which is the Ahime pre- prefecture today. Uh, it resembles a large chicken and breathes ghost fire from its mouth. It has a bright red coxcomb and spits an equally brilliant hued fire. Fire is a cold fire, glows and does not burn. Um, and from the image, this actually kind of looks like a traditional European cockatrice. Uh, what do you think, Dave? Uh, yeah, and they've linked kindly to the cockatrice. Um, yeah. The name uh, might be easier because it's like Basa Basa if you. Yeah. Uh, looks like an onomatopoeia. Uh, mm. Or the Inu Hole, uh, which is mm. weird because it does. Uh, dog, chicken, something. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it's a sort of, sort of a chimera, I guess. Mm. Oh, that's quite cool. I didn't. I didn't know Japan. I didn't know Japan had a cockatrice analog. We, that's really. That's really. We just cool. found it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess people are afraid of chickens breathing fire everywhere. Yeah, and this guy looks pretty big too. There's a little river mm. next to him. Yeah. maybe it's a stream. Could be. I mean, it's also described as living in bamboo groves, but sometimes materializes in human villages. Uh, oh, here's where the name comes in. When the basan flaps its wings, an eerie rustling, basa basa, sound can be heard. Uh, supposedly, if a human hears the sound and looks outside, the bird's form will suddenly vanish. So the basa basa is onomatopoeia. It's the noise it makes, I guess. Yeah, I think the flapping of its wings. Um, yeah. Well, I guess it's good that it vanishes if you hear it. Usually, it's the other way around. You hear yeah. It and it breathes fire at <laughs> and you. And suddenly, it's there. Pops up in the window and blasts you with fire. Mm, mm. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I almost, almost want to include the little uh, um, the Ehon Hyaku Monogatari, like the woodcut 
um, little pictures in our notes just because they're really cool. Yeah, you should. That's that's a really cool picture that people should be able to look at when they listen to us. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll make it in the notes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, this has been Yokai of the Week. So what are we what are we covering this week? Well, first off, it's not just the two of us, is it? It's not. It's a surprise. We have a guest, Mr. John Gamble. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to the I show. You were going to ask me how I was doing, so I just sat there quiet, and I was like, oh, they're waiting for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were waiting. So how are you doing, John? I'm doing all right. A bit under the weather, but nothing I can do about that. And I shouldn't. I shouldn't die while recording this podcast. Yes, Good please don't die. <laughs> we don't want to be. We don't want to be questioned about this. Yeah. Well, see, Dave sounded concerned. You're just concerned about the podcast credibility and getting questioned for it. That's oh yeah, cool. no. Like my life's stressful enough as it is. I'm sorry. I feel bad for you, but. <laughs> he's he's on another continent it's too much to worry about oh yeah (laughs) all right um so now that john's here what what are are we covering today uh we are covering a few short stories from the works of howard philip lovecraft uh or hp lovecraft as he's more generally known um for those not in the know, Lovecraft is sort of the progenitor of modern horror and eldritch horror in all kinds of fiction. Uh, you may know him from such things as The Call of Cthulhu, In the Mountains of Madness, and other works. Um, yeah, uh, Dave, how did you first sort of get started with uh, Lovecraft's works? Oh, um, I think I Do ran you- into one of his anthologies probably when I was like middle school uh, and I think it was like whisper in the dark or something. I don't remember what the collection was called, uh, but it, it was, it was intriguing enough that I um, ended up tracking down larger collections because how, how these were released um, at least stateside was uh, in his larger bodies of works. You'd get like, I don't know, 10, 10 of the larger stories per um, volume. And then they released mm-hmm. uh, four, I think four collections. Uh, eventually they would put those into um, complete anthologies, which I, I did pick up uh, one pretty cool one that had, it's like a faux leather bound um, book with uh, gold um, Ooh, filigree yes, or I something have that. like inside. The, I have that the one. Yeah. yeah. That's probably my favorite. Yeah. Uh, iteration of like the hardback or you know uh, p- paper collections i i have a bunch of them on um ebook as well just for ease of reference is quicker to to pull up <laughs> that's cool uh john how about yourself uh i came to his work relatively recently like i had seen illustrations of cthulhu and like seen his references in video gaming but I think the first time I ever really heard his, like, heard his full name or any of his stories or anything was when Bonfire Side Chat covered H.P. Uh, Lovecraft in one of like the extra episodes. Okay. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Oh, so and super ever, recently. 
Yeah, that was really quite recent. Quite, quite like in retrospect of things, I, I didn't read this growing up as a kid or anything. But uh, yeah. I had read Edgar Allan Poe growing up as a kid, who like is a, I, I'm gonna say a decently sized influence on Lovecraft, probably. Mm. Yeah. But uh, okay. Back in March, I was going through like the Google Play Store for books, and the Lovecraft collection was on there for ninety nine cents. So I got everything oh, yeah. I ever wrote. For a dollar. Mm, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I haven't gone through it much. Like, the stuff we're covering today was a reason for me to, like, open it up and, like, dig through the stories I wouldn't normally read. Yeah. Like, I had yeah. I had read, like, Shadow Over Innsmouth, At the Mountain of Madness, Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath, and, like, Call of Cthulhu, and that was it since March. Yeah. No, Pikmin's okay. model once. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, as like, for myself, ever since oh, then, on. Oh, go ahead. Sorry about that, but ever since then, like uh, I wrote, I wrote a paper about him for my English class. Oh, nice! And like I've, I've like dug into like him, who he was as a person. Which spoiler alert, wasn't a great person. <laughs> but uh, like I've, I really, really like what like I'm finding out about him, like the way he was raised and like all of that like i his writing style is impeccable like there's no equal for him in my eyes like that's that's the best writing i've seen anybody have i mean in retrospect yeah yeah all right yeah um as for myself, uh, I sort of started with Lovecraft with uh, one of the short stories we'll be doing today. The uh, the Beast in the Cave was the first thing of his I ever read. Uh, but I was quite good friends with my school principal in high school. Uh, a bit odd to say, et cetera, et cetera. But um, he knew I'd started reading a little Lovecraft. And when I graduated, he got me the book you were talking about, Dave. This sort of uh, Necronomicon with the faux black leather with gold filigree. It's like 800, 900 pages like really yeah. tightly spaced with <laughs> just almost all of Lovecraft's work. It's really, really good. It's super solid. It took me like three months to get through. <laughs> I think um, it's annotated I, too. Yeah, it is. It's quite heavily annotated if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, so there's a lot to go through. It's really, really cool. Um, yeah. Uh, and as John did mention, uh, uh, slight, slight aside, Lovecraft was quite racist. So, um, if you're reading any of his work, just keep that in mind and um, take it for what it is, I guess. He's long dead. Uh, the the books he's written are public domain, so it's not like the money's going to a bad cause or anything if you pick up a book from somewhere. But um, just something to keep in mind if you're deciding to read his work. Yeah, and um, John, you mentioned that this is uh, his, his writing style. Uh, you like it a lot. Um, I'll... I'll link you to some other um, authors. Some of them are contemporary to Lovecraft that uh, mm. that are the same, or, or I don't know. I think that they're probably better <laughs> as far as the <laughs> prose is concerned. Uh, Robert yeah. Chambers Ooh. is one you want to look up. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. Chambers is good. Yeah. But yeah, I'll, uh, I'll put some in the notes for, for everybody, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah. To, to reference. Reading is fun, guys. Like, the best author I've ever read, because I haven't read, like, I enjoy reading, but mostly I'll stick to, like, the same few authors, like, 
Stephen King, mm. Lovecraft, and just like I won't seek out an author. Like I'll just pick up a book. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I won't. Yeah. Yeah. It happens. You so, got to start somewhere. Knows, Dave, maybe one of those suggestions will end up trumping Lovecraft for me. We will find <laughs> out. Yeah, we'll what just throw a whole lot at you. <laughs> You'll just never have time to read them all. Read this and this and this and this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, I'll find the time. If, you, if you're going to tell me they're good books, I'll find the time. Oh, man. I'm going to have to do, like, a solo cast on a certain Australian author at some point. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I anyway. just have to make an entire podcast on... Um... Uh, House of Leaves, because that would need so much uh, exploration. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, shall we get on? Yeah, let's take a look at The Beast in the Cave, um, to, I guess, to further show how long ago this was. This was written on April 21st, 1905, but published in um, 1918 in The Vagrant... uh, Incident annual um, issue number seven uh, of the, of the vagrant. So, a lot of his work was published in these like little pulp magazines. They would have uh, we- weird tales and uh, other yeah. really I don't know little fun uh, entries like that. Um, so yeah, there was a quite a bit of time between when he wrote and, and then eventually published this. And then he has um, some work I believe is um, published. Um, posthumously so yeah we'll see things. the dates on the other ones <laughs> well um you you said this was your first story that basically brought you into lovecraft um yeah i imagine that reading this now it's maybe been a few years since you read it initially um i don't oh, know yeah, i don't know if you well. read it in the interim but what did you think of this looking at it again like with fresh eyes uh look, looking at it again with fresh eyes um first off this was this was and always will be my entry into sort of this genre of fiction i didn't read a lot of horror stuff before that um and so it holds a special place in my heart uh but it's really interesting because in between the time where i read this because i read this in sort of middle school um and now i've you know i've studied English literature for three years in high school. I've gone to university and done some creative writing courses and things like that. And the beast in the cave is kind of interesting for me because it still holds a lot of sway in me. Like when I read it, I feel, you know, that he builds tension and there's interest despite there's not actually too much going on because the beast in the cave is sort of the essential short horror story I mean, you know, there's always the jokes where you boil things down to just a few words. You know, the last man on earth heard a knock at the door is the shortest horror story you can get kind of thing. Um, But The Beast in the Cave is only, you know, three or four pages long, if I'm remembering correctly. And it, it it does that sort of sense of horror, which, you know, I'm sure was much more shocking at the time, you know, back in the early 1900s, uh, really well with such sort of a small palette to work with. You've got a cave, you've got our protagonist and you've got a thing in the cave and that's really all you have, you know? And uh, John mentioned that he really likes the way Lovecraft writes. Lovecraft really goes to town here in his descriptiveness. You know, he 
It's describing the sort of the arcades of this ancient limestone cavern, how there was a group of hippies who tried to make a living down here, but eventually died out due to one thing or another. Um, and then really gets going with the tension of, you know, the guy's resigned himself to his fate, but he decides to shout for help just in case. And he hears something coming and he's like, Oh, I'm rescued. And that sudden moment of wait, I'd be hearing shoes and walking sticks if this was the cave, the cave exploration guide coming for me. But I'm hearing this sort of slot, soft flap of, you know, unclothed feet and hands against rock and stuff like that. And really sells the idea that it's almost completely dark. You know, he throws a rock at whatever's in the cave and he misses his, here's where it is sort of jumping back and has to adjust his aim and then hits it. And I know I still really like it. Uh, it's a little less impressive after all these years, I feel. <laughs> uh, I've read a lot more stuff and, you know, I've read a lot of, a lot of uh, other things from Lovecraft, which I like better, but they also, he's also given those other works, you know, so much more room to flesh a proper story out. Whereas this is, like I said, this is a really essentially just the short, the shortest horror story I can imagine being effective. <laughs> um, and I do really still like it. It's kind of uh, a cliche twist at the end these days. You know, it was a man all along, or was once a man, I should say. Actually, um, I think that's literally a trope. It was it's titled "Was Once a Man," but um, yeah, I, I still really like it. Uh, what about you, John? What do you think of The Beast in the Cave? Uh, well, it definitely wasn't the first thing I read of his, but going back, like reading it for the first time yesterday, I like it. it. It's very good for what it is, which is, as you said, like a very short horror story, but also a very effective one. And what I like is you mentioned how when he yells out for help, he hears noises and thinks he's rescued, but then he comes to the realization that he's not hearing two feet. Mm. He's hearing what sounds like four feet. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, like, I I don't know what I would do in his position. I'd, I'd probably freak <laughs> out. I would, I'd probably miss both rock throws and die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, it wasn't bad. It's definitely my least favorite of the three that we're covering today, but it's good for what it is. I like it. Yeah. Um, Dave, how about you? Yeah, this was the first time that I read this one. Um, I, you know, his his body of work is rather extensive, and there's like a hundred, you know, little uh, ten page. Uh, they're not even novellas, just super short uh, stories. Yeah, and yeah. Um, so yeah, so I hadn't read this before. Uh, I, yeah, I thought it was an effective little piece. Um, it reminded me of the film The Descent, uh, just a little bit. Mm. And what I what I really liked though was um, it's now a trope, and I wonder how much it would have been at the time uh, when he, when, he, when he's writing this fresh. Is yeah. our main character is exploring these caves, but he's not originally by himself. He was with a like a sort of tour group, and mm. he ad- he like he admits he he got curious and wandered away from the group by himself into the dark and then his um his torch eventually went, went out when he after he found him that he was lost and uh, yeah. so you know he's shouting for 
not just any help, but for the in the hopes that the tour guide uh, will hear him. And just that idea of, you know, we see so often in horror films that someone, you know, goes off by themselves in a place that they, they shouldn't be alone and, you know, mm. run into trouble. <laughs> um, yeah. it, it reads, you know, now as incredibly cliche, but at one time that idea had to have been, you know, novel. And I wonder, mm. I, I don't even think it was probably novel. Even when he wrote this, it was probably, you know, not stale, but yeah. at least having been used, um, Mm. I would like to look into that almost more than in, in any of the other parts of the story. Yeah, yeah. There he is. Oh, and there it goes. <laughs> Technical difficulties music. So, yeah, I guess we covered that a dude gets lost in a cave gets separated from his um, little uh, tour group and he <laughs> runs into some kind of horror uh, in the darkness. <laughs> yep. That's one way of putting it. Yeah. And Do you um, this was... or like speculation as to what that is? Like at the at this... At that point? Or... Yeah. No, no, like what the monster is. In the oh, in the cave. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's a this evolved, you know, some probably one of the the hippie guys. Um, just yeah, like, trapped down there, and it's dark, and he evolved into a uh, beast or some kind monster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah that's like, true. Um, it doesn't. I guess it doesn't have to be like a named monster or like a creature of any sort. It's a, a guy who went mad and feral in a cave. Yeah, I yeah. mean, he from the description, it's basically the th- the little cave creatures from um, the descent. You know, he's yeah. he's. I guess we can describe it. He's um, pale, walks on all fours, but sometimes um, bipedal, and yeah. has long stringy hair but is uh otherwise i mean just from the top of his head but otherwise is um un- unclothed uh, it's not furry anywhere else um yeah and his general features are are still humanoid but he has large uh black eyes um he's got nail like claws on yeah. his hands and feet which could just be long, unkempt nails. I think they're I just, you know, they just didn't, yeah. uh, he didn't trim them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, fair. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, no, it's just someone who's been stuck in a cave for years and years and years and years and years and, years and somehow survives. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess. I guess. I guess I'm looking into it a bit further than I should. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, this, I mean, this requires yeah. a little bit of that little digging. I mean, honestly, it might not actually be one of the uh survivors of this camp that's in the cave it could be one of their children that makes a little bit more sense having grown up completely in this utter darkness and never having uh seen the light but yeah that that being said they do mention that he's making weird sounds uh and it's alluded to that they're they're words so yeah it could have been a yeah. child that was, you know, raised a little bit with these um, 
this uh, commune in the cave, and then whatever uh, it doesn't describe why they died, but whatever killed them off, you know, didn't get this one survivor and was just left to fend for himself in the in the darkness. Yeah, yeah. Either way, I kind of like to see this as sort of the precursor to Lovecraft's ghouls, which will pop up in some of the other stuff we'll be discussing. You know, this 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 cave dwelling humanoid that um, you know, is fairly feral, um, and yeah. it's something that shows up a lot in his work. <laughs> yeah, while I was reading the Beast in the Cave, uh, I couldn't really figure out what it was, and then when I read Pickman's model, I was like, maybe it's a ghoul. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe. It's sort of the precursor. The comparisons are there to be drawn. Yeah. I mean, this one specifically described with a very humanoid face. The words are a little out there, but, you know, he talks about how the face isn't as prognathic as he would have expected, which is um, the mouth doesn't jut forward, so there's no, like, muzzle, which means it's flat-faced like a human, um, more so than, say, a chimpanzee or other great ape. So it's, it's definitely human, but it's also show is sort of described sort of having devolved or evolved a little past that yeah it seems like he's expecting some sort of uh like a neanderthal man um but Mm. it ends up looking um more like just a a normal human as, as far as the um the bone structure is concerned yeah man the truest monster (laughs) again yeah that's his, I mean, that's yeah. his it's, theme. It's what this all comes back to. <laughs> the final episode of Monster Dear Monster is just going to be you guys talking about how shitty people can be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Monster Day Monster. This episode, we'll be talking about the man who cut me off the freeway yesterday. <laughs> it was man all along. <laughs> uh. Oh, man. No, you really have to do that, Mike. Um, um, like a year from now, when people forget this episode happened, yeah. No, it, it, the, today we're covering the guy who cut me off in a freeway. It, it can be, it can, it can be a one-year anniversary episode. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Um, okay. I might just use that as the episode title. <laughs> yeah, that's good. The man who cut me off on the freeway. <laughs> No, I was meaning it was man all along, but yeah. Oh. <laughs> I, know, oh, I, I, I kind of like that. It's like this 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 week's episode, the man who cut me off on the freeway. This week we're talking about Lovecraft and just people waiting to hear the connection. <laughs> yeah, oh, we'll, see. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I'll pull it out anyway. Of <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I think we kind of covered. This was a super brief. This was um like. Ten pages on the e-reader. It's less. It's less. It's like five pages tops, to be honest. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think on the, the Google Playbooks app, I think it came out to like seven. Yeah, I was reading it vertically. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. my text a little bigger because my eyes are bad. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe just makes the that. pages longer. I'm pretty sure yeah. all of our eyes are bad. I think we all wear glasses, don't we? Oh, yeah. We're supposed to anyway. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not allowed to drive without glasses, so. <laughs> yeah, I can, but, like, only just. But anyway. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> so what's our, I guess we're done. We're done with the beast in the cave. <laughs> I don't have anything else. Mm. Mm. No. 
It was super brief. I mean, um, we kept that talk going a bit longer than I expected. Seeing it was only a four-page story. Yeah, that, that's how we do. Uh, yeah, well, speaking of ghouls, let's take a look at uh, Pikmin's model. Ooh, yes, please. Yeah. All right, what did you guys think of... Uh, John, um, is this the first time you read Pikmin's model? No, you said that you read this before, right? Yeah, I had read it when I first picked up uh, like the Lovecraft collection. I, I, I just thought, and I was like, that one sounds interesting. So I picked it off. Uh, no no pun intended, I guess, for Pikmin's model. I picked Pikmin's model. <laughs> uh, and, like, I don't really remember my thoughts on it back then. I think I, it is a bit shorter, and, like, there wasn't the word Cthulhu in it, and that's all I knew about Lovecraft, and I was like, I don't know this one. But uh, going back through it last night in preparation for this, I love this story. This story mm. is absolutely great. And they're just like a bunch, it's so quotable. Like, you can just pull lines from this. And like they just make really good quotes, and yeah, yeah. like rereading it again this morning, I think I liked it more than I did last night. Mm, like, mm. This is good. Like my first Lovecraft story was Call of Cthulhu, so like I started at the top. This <laughs> might be like right around there in terms of enjoyability because I can read this one pretty briefly. Call of Cthulhu takes a while. Yeah. Yeah, uh, this one gets, like, three big thumbs up. <laughs> three? Oh, dear. <laughs> no, um, I didn't. Stop it. I didn't mean it like that. Um, I'm just concerned about this third arm. Are you materialized? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I really like this story as well. Um, there, there's a thing to note, which uh, the Wikipedia article points out, that... Um, this is written really weirdly for Lovecraft uh, in that it's, it's sort of a first-person internal monologue directed towards the reader, um, which I think really lets Lovecraft do interesting stuff with it because it's super descriptive, like even more so than usual for him. Uh, and it's really interesting because it's just him talking to you. It's, it's not like he's describing the scenarios like, no, this is how I feel. This is what this art makes me feel and stuff. Um, and it's, no, it's just a really well put together piece. Um, and I love ghouls and I love Lovecraft's sort of depictions of them. And this is, yeah, really well written. Uh, Dave, what do you think? Yeah, I like this a lot. This was one of the first ones I had, uh, read. Um, if I recall correctly, cause that was, a long time ago. It's like 25 <laughs> years ago. Um, but, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And it's one of his few stories where the... Well, it's not really the protagonist, but I guess the antagonist no. or the side character of... Um, mm -hmm. Or titular character. Uh, Mr. Yeah. Uh, Richard Upton Pickman uh, appears yes. in Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath. And oh, yeah. I don't, I don't think in anything else, but the... The, these Lovecraft's version of ghouls um, is—it's not really static, but he uses that theme um, repeatedly in a lot of his other tales. And mm. it, honestly, this is—we yeah, we sort of pointed out um, this idea of the, the, the Wikipedia calls it a degenerate retrogressive cannibal, uh, mm. um, which we don't see the. The, the beast in the cave being a cannibal, but um, 
No. It, it c- could could be. Um, these are yeah. similar as far as uh, their descriptions are, I guess, concerned. But they're they're explicitly um, cannibalistic uh, in in this mm. story. I guess it's not even. I mean, it's it's cannibalistic because they're eating the flesh of humans, and they're sort of um, alluded to 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 have maybe been humans. Um, yeah, but they've they've sort of sprung off and become their own thing because we get uh, an idea of these ghouls as changelings, where they substitute their young. Um, and swap them mm. for human children to, to raise in their, uh, I don't know, it's not only a clan, but whatever their little little group is called. Uh, yeah, so yeah. It, was, it was a very evocative um, tale. Uh, I guess yes. that's my <laughs> thought on it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really, really interesting. So, like, for brief, brief plot summary, it's basically... Uh, the narrator is talking about his friend and fellow artist Richard Upton Pickman, the sort of uh, this interesting figure within the art community, uh, who's sort of shunned slightly because his works are so they're incredibly well done technique wise, but they're incredibly sort of graphic and confronting. Uh, and he gets to go to Pickman's private gallery, uh, which he's hidden away somewhere. And you know, it, the story gradually describes them delving deeper into more sort of weird and creepy paintings uh, of sort of the local area, um, but being overrun by these ghoul-like creatures. Uh, and at some point they hear something scratching at one of the doors inside and Pikmin's like, oh, uh, not a not a problem, just give me a second. Pulls out a gun, <laughs> walks through the door, closes behind him, fires off at something, walks back in, is like, it was just some rats. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they they took great yeah, work. Go ahead. It's not just that he fires the revolver; he empties the revolver. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. He fires all yeah. six rounds. They made a point of, uh, of the, that point. Empty the revolver the... at rats. Air quotes. Rats. Yeah, air quote rats. Oh, he's like, huge. These huge rats are. Yeah, they they're in the walls. You know, you yeah you startle them with your incessant screaming, Thurber. Mm. So Thurber is mm. our narrator. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. Thurber. Sorry. Scream. Thurber. It's, it's, I mean, it's uh, a name. We can make that the episode title. Air quotes. Rats. <laughs> Air quotes. <laughs> Air quotes. <laughs> yeah. Big rats. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll see. <laughs> and, um, yeah, no, uh, sort of the twist here is that the sort of the final most disturbing canvas, which is described as this massive painting of an enormous ghoul sort of just holding a man in one hand and chewing off their head, uh, there's a small piece of paper sort of taped or tacked onto the bottom that um, our narrator Thurber sort of, you know, he gets a bit overwhelmed, sort of just clutches at it, um, and this is when Pikmin goes off to shoot some rats, uh, again, air quotes, uh, um, and accidentally picks up the paper and puts it in his pocket and realizes later that um, it's not a sketch or anything for basing this canvas on. It's a f- legitimate photograph of what this painting was of, uh, <laughs> revealing that the ghouls are real and they're living below the city streets, uh, which I thought was quite a nice turn of events. Well, 
twist uh, in writing, not in turn of events, pardon me. <laughs> yeah, um, I think stylistically, as far as the, the ending is concerned, it it takes an, I guess, not even a really a, a note, but it um, it sort of copies verbatim the ending of uh, Beasts in the Cave. You know, instead of, yeah. it was a man, it was like, it was... A photograph Real. from life. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. What's the quote? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> hold on. Well, that paper wasn't a photograph of any background after all. What it showed was simply the monstrous being he was painting on that awful canvas. It was the model he was using, and its background was merely the wall of the cellar studio in minute detail. But by God, Elliot, it was a photograph from life. Yeah. <laughs> it was a man. It was a photograph from <laughs> life. From life. Uh, oh, good there stuff. is, there is some fantastic sort of sentences in here. Or is it? Um, it was the technique, Elliot, the cursed, the impious, the unnatural technique. As he's sort of describing these sort of fevered nightmares of paintings, he he have really goes to town. That sentence, I, like, I have the paragraph where he describes the painting right in front of me, and the sentence you just wrote is right underneath that. So as you read that sentence, I read it along with you. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but yeah, the description that he uses to like describe what he sees as the painting, like the words he uses, it's a it's a really good paragraph. Yeah, there's some there's some great great prose here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, like it's, but it's shutter worthy. It is. It is really quite nice. Um, but yeah, so uh, the ghouls described here are sort of you know they're these sort of re- degenerative cannibals. Um. A lot of the times in sort of artwork, uh, I should say fan artwork. Technically, I'm not sure if there's any actual official artwork of them from the Lovecraft from Lovecraft or his estate, but um, they're usually depicted with these sort of long muzzle-like jaws as well. But otherwise, sort of just you know, buck naked, naked cavorting around, eating people. Uh, I, I know I really like that imagery for some reason. The idea of the humanoid body with the long snout sticks with me it's probably why i like werewolves so much but uh (laughs) we've been over that (laughs) yeah oh i've got another um paragraph that i was in i'll I'll read this entry real quick so yeah yeah this is thurber talking to um elliot uh who's our um silent uh conversation partner which is i guess the 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 Mm. reader basically um he says but don't get the idea that it was all this hideous business of theme and setting which struck me faint. I'm not a three-year-old kid, and I'd seen much like this before. It was the faces, Elliot, those accursed faces, that leered and slavered out of the canvas with the very breath of life. By God, man, I verily believe they were alive. That nauseous wizard has awakened the fires of hell in pigment, and his brush has been a nightmare-spawning wand. Give me that decanter, Elliot. <laughs> That's so good. Oh, nauseous wizard. This is good stuff. This is absolutely fantastic. Like, we're not even discussing the ghouls at this point. It's just no, it doesn't matter. The, writing, <laughs> the, the writing is the real monster here, let's be honest. As you started that paragraph, I scrolled like furiously through the ebook to try to find that paragraph. And I, I, I read it, like, in my head as you read it out loud. Yeah. It Dude, sticks so well. So good. Uh, yeah. There's a bunch. The whole, it's not every, not every bit is a, a little treasure, but they're, they're kind of sprinkled. There, there are, 
There are a large this. number. Um, <laughs> now here's the okay. here's the bit about the uh, the change link. It's actually the the following paragraph. So huh. there was one thing called the lesson. Yeah, this part was messed up. Um, heavy pit, heaven, heaven, pity me that I ever saw it. Listen, can you fancy a squatting circle of nameless dog-like things in a churchyard teaching a small child how to feed themselves? The price of a changeling, I suppose. You know, the old myth about how the weird people leave their spawn in cradles in exchange for the human babes. They steal weird people. Um, Pickman was showing what happens to those stolen babes, how they grow up. And then I began to see a hideous relationship in the faces of the human and non-human figures. He was, in all his gradations of morbidity, between the frankly non-human and the degraded human, or degradedly human, establishing a sardonic linkage and evolution. The dog things were developed from mortals. So there's <laughs> our, our link that we get that um, these ghouls uh, didn't spring up from nowhere. They're, mm. They were they were people. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, there, there's also the one after that is great. Uh, it's sort of a very Puritan-styled family portrait. Uh, but there's something about the faces that is off enough that Thurber is like, no, everyone in this painting is related to those dog-headed things. And then he notices that one of the paintings that pick one of the uh, faces in that painting, Pickman has very clearly modeled after himself. So we actually get the implication that Pickman may have been one of these exchange children as well. Yeah. Which, Which really um, cool. I mean, it could explain if that's, if that's the case, uh, how he's able to get a lot of these references and still not, mm. you know, still be alive. Yeah. And he's encountered <laughs> many of these ghouls and maybe they were, you know, well, raised yeah. him. That's uh, yeah. that's an interesting point that I don't I don't know if it's elaborated. But um, when he does appear in Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath, um, he is a ghoul, so he mm. turns into one. And then in the in this Pigman's model, he I guess he disappears. He yeah, uh, or the author yeah. at least cuts off um, contact with him. Uh, in the yeah, end. just never heard from again after developing oh, an. Yeah. In, I guess a sort of justifiable phobia of subways and cellars and I mean, basically can't yeah. go into the dark anymore. Yeah, well, Pigment's entire work of art was, you know, these things boiling up from tunnels in the subways and overwhelming the local area. So after realizing that they're sort of actually real, I would, I too would sort of refuse to go anywhere near that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely implied that uh, the narrator hasn't had contact with Pikmin because the opening sentence of the third paragraph is, no, I don't know what's become of Pikmin, and I don't like to guess. Yeah, he's sort of just disappeared, and he's sentence. not cut off contact, but Pikmin's just dropped off the grid uh, to go shop in Dream of Kadath, I guess. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> We'll have to we'll have to look at that one uh, in the future. That's oh. a, a long that's a long story. So that it's would just so be good. an entire episode or two. It's so good. I love the cats. I, in that. I feel like we mm. would definitely need two to cover that. Yeah, yeah. We'll uh, put it on the list. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, I uh, think that I guess covers schools. Unless you guys have anything else you wanted to to add. Uh, that's about mm -hmm. it for me. I think. 
Yeah, no, that about covers it. I mean, this is definitely my favorite of, like, the three we're doing. And mostly oh, yeah. for, like, the descriptors. Like, every time there's a descriptive paragraph about what a ghoul looks like or, like, uh, the narrator, like, describing one of the paintings, it, it just works so well. Like, I typically have a problem putting descriptors in page into, like, a mental image. Not this mm. time. I know I can, I can I have a decent idea what these paintings look like, and I don't want to see these paintings ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're incredibly well described. No thanks. Uh, in that case, shall we move on to our third and final piece for the for I was going to say for the evening, but it's probably daytime for the two of you. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're going to we're going to have a quick look at uh, the horror at Red Hook. Uh, this one was first published in 1927 in Weird Tales, but uh, was written on August 1st to August 2nd, 1925. So we've got a very definitive date at which he wrote this, which he wrote this in a couple of days, which is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, this one was, um, it wasn't short. This was probably the longest of the, uh, or at least yeah. the same length as um, Pickman's model. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, in my version, I think it came out to like eighteen pages. Yeah, yeah, it's in that sort of fifteen to twenty page mark, depending on spacing and whatnot. Yeah, I was just anyway pulling up my copy. Yeah, <laughs> so I can look. Yeah, at it. yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, the horror Red Hook sort of um, gives an account of an on-duty incident at Red Hook. Brooklyn, which is sort of a neighborhood in Brooklyn, I suppose. Uh, and we're sort of uh, seeing this through the eyes mostly of uh, Detective Malone. Um, sort of the end The end point of this story is he ends up with a phobia of large buildings. Um, you know, there's some descriptors of Red Hook itself, the neighborhood with gangs and crimes. There's a potential sort of an occult underbelly. Uh, but this story really digs into the case of Robert Suidam, Sweetum? Uh, uh, it I'm says not, it's Dutch. Sure. That's the most not Dutch name. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. Sidam was what uh, I read it as. Yeah, Sidam. Uh, but yeah, so he's sort of uh, the neighborhood recluse, but uh, suddenly, you know, he's getting, he looks younger. He's sort of very attractive and charismatic all of a sudden. Uh, he gets engaged to a well-off woman um but there's also at the same time there's this increase in local kidnappings uh malone you know takes part in a police raid but uh nothing is sort of uncovered from sidam's flat in red hook but uh say for a few strange inscriptions of course uh sweetam gets married he and his wife go off on a cruise um however there's an incident uh and uh Sweetarm and his wife are found dead in their in their sort of stateroom on the ship. Uh, some strange men from another ship come on board and lay claim to his body. Uh, Malone, meanwhile, I think on his own at this point, yes, uh, goes to Sweetarm's flat to see what he can find. He finds this weird door in the basement, gets sucked into this sort of hellish landscape where there's all this weird stuff going on. There's a ritual to reanimate Sweetarm. Um... And, you know, the story ends with Malone's found in the caved-in flat, killing uh, everyone else died in the cave-in, and they just fill in the tunnels and chambers, and no one ever talks about it, (laughs) which I think is a great ending. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty much the only way to approach something like this. Like, 
with all the events that happened, you don't want to you don't want to talk about this. Oh like, no! You'd rather forget about it. <laughs> yeah, no. Let's if just that's, uh, let's if just. that's possible. Yeah, let's block everything up. Maybe that'll stop it. If not, not our problem anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, he um, as a as a detective, um, he is sort of it's not really put on bed rest, but put off of duty, mm-hmm. I think, and and just to yeah. uh, you know regain his um, health and his composure is recommended to to go to this retreat and stay away from large brick buildings yeah uh, by his uh, doctors because he he doesn't really tell anyone aside from the reader uh, what mm. actually happened he gives his account to us but yes he, he's smart enough to know that he shouldn't tell anyone what he saw like they'll mm. they'll put him in an asylum and at, at this time at these days and ages of when he's writing this that was a bad thing you did not you're not gonna leave if you get committed <laughs> oh, into no. asylum you're you're done um, no so what yeah. he and he go ahead yeah uh, he saw some real serious stuff oh yeah uh, is how i'll put it um like like i said uh he finds a door in the basement that sort of cracks and pulls him into this weird dimension but um uh, the actual wording talking about what happens, you know, uh, a crack formed and enlarged the whole door gave way, but from the other side, italicized, uh, whence poured a howling tumult of ice-cold wind with all the stenches of the bottomless pit, and whence reached a sucking force, not of earth or heaven, which, coiling sentiently about the paralyzed detective, dragged him through the aperture and down unmeasured spaces filled with whispers and wails and gusts of mocking laughter. Um... So he's he's like this door is cracked open and he's not pulled in by gravity or suction or anything like this. this is like some sentient force. I, I honestly think back to um at the start of Bloodborne when you can't see the amygdalas all over the place and you get grabbed by this invisible thing and pulled to wherever it feels like that is what he's describing. Yeah, this it only gets worse from like there. Dislocation. <laughs> yeah, um, it really only gets worse from there. Uh, yeah, yeah, gone. it gets it gets pretty bad. Uh, so <laughs> he, this is interesting because he is, um, uh, if not fully Irish, like part Irish. That's like his heritage. Mm. Um, and the the beginning of the story sort of talks about that he was able to um, draw on that heritage and uh, gain some sort of like second, you know, or like I guess sixth sense about things and he, he's well read and being a detective wasn't his uh initial job choice uh he he had delved into the occult um a little bit so he's familiar with um witches and, and local uh, mythologies and he's fluent or at least uh, passable in i think latin and a few other um, esoteric languages enough to recognize and to read um mm. some of these sort of uh occult scribblings uh that um sudam has uh around some of his paintings and uh sudam has a sort of a cult uh where he has the, these meetings he had held at his flat uh he had also done some in the i think it's a basement of a, a local church and that's where um, our uh, Malone finds an inscription. Um, I guess it was in the flat where it reads, oh. uh, "O friend and companion of night, 
Thou who rejoicest in the baying of dogs and spilt blood, who wandered in the midst of shades among the tombs, who longed for blood and bringest terror to mortals, Gorgo, Mormo, thousand-faced moon, look favorably on our sacrifices. And this is a, it's not just a, a, a quote that he sees written. Um, we end up finding mm. that this this cult uh, echoes this, um, I guess it's almost like a prayer or an invocation. And they teach yeah. it to their, to their children uh, to, I don't know, just gain membership in the cult that they're in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's bring your daughter to work day. Uh, what are you yeah. going to do? <laughs> <laughs> but um, this is also what he hears this um, repeated uh, as he is traversing that strange mm. netherworld that he's been sucked into. Yeah. yeah. And we get we get some fantastic descriptions again. There are some amazing uh, sort of just sentences and paragraphs in here. You know, he gets pulled into this sort of endless twilight area with um, sort of onyx piers and dark waters. Uh, but there's, here's the sentence I was looking at, sort of talking about the overall feel and atmosphere. He says, um, here cosmic sin had entered and fested by unhallowed rites had commenced the grinning march of death that was to rot us all to fungus abnormalities too hideous for the graves holding. And it's just so pulpy. You can you chew the words. <laughs> you can feel it. It's so good. Again, some great descriptions. I feel in Pikmin, he sort of really goes to town with them, but it's quite good here as well. Uh, yeah, uh, John, what do you think of this sort of area being described? I mean, I really, really like the descriptors of the area. Like, you pretty much said it. It, it, like the descriptors for the area, it's it's not a place where Malone should be, and he mm. knows that. But uh, yeah, yeah, very much like Pikmin. Like, I'm not a big fan of the story in general. Much like Lovecraft wasn't a big fan of this story because it, it's a bit wordy, a bit longer than it has to be. Yeah, but the descriptors in it is the descriptors are great, and mm. that like that puts it in. If the descriptors weren't as good, I wouldn't like this story much at all, I think. But the descriptors definitely help buff it up from, like, the beast in the cave. Yeah. Yeah. They add to the word count, but also sort of add to the atmosphere. Um, yeah, and we sort of get a description of this sort of, uh, it seems initially like sort of a funeral procession. You know, this boat pulls up in, on the shore. Uh, all these strangely clad men sort of come down bearing Sridam's body. And they bring it to um, what's early described as sort of this naked phosphorescent thing that had swam out of the waters and sort of perched itself on an altar. And uh, that that uh, that sort of chant, that prayer that Dave described earlier, um, it's apparently in Greek. Uh, the dreadful Greek incantation um, is sort of repeated again, but now in parentheses and brackets we get these sort of... Uh, extra bits you know we get a friend and companion of night thou who rejoices in the baying of dogs there a hideous howl burst forth and spilt blood there hear nameless sounds vied with morbid shriekings who wanderest in the midst of shades among the tombs here a whistling sigh occurred etc 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 sort of taking it from that rhyme mentioned earlier um and sort of elevating into it this is super occult thing 
there is a lot of cult stuff going on. There's the baying and howling of these sort of outer beings uh, as there's sort of this resurrection ritual for Sidam, Sudam, Sidam. I'm never going to get that name in anything I'm satisfied with. <laughs> Doesn't roll off the tongue like all the other words in this in this piece. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. I would probably yeah. say the wise Sudam. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, Sudam's yeah. probably a, the easiest way to look at that. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, and th- there is a, there's sort of a lot of naming around here. You know, there's um, talk of Moloch and Ashtaroth. Satan's here holding his Babylonish court. <laughs> uh, phosphorescent Lithith, Lilith. Oh, uh, I guess that's who the phosphorescent the, the figure, figure was. Is this was lep- Lilith. The leprous Lilith. Um, oh, that's interesting. Didn't make the connection <laughs> the last time I read through it. There's just so much <laughs> to read through. Yeah, this basically this paragraph um, is giving us all of the lore um, and the origins, I guess, of the demons and, and creatures that um, yeah. Malone is, uh, you know, thankfully not physically encountering, but he's, he's yeah. you know, he's observing yeah. this um, terrible uh, procession. Mm. And it's, this is like super evocative stuff. It's, uh, it's saying that um, Incubi and Succubi, uh, they're howling praise to Hecate um, and mm. there's headless moon calves. Um, Bleeding to bleeding. the uh, great mother, um, yeah, and there's goats, goats and fawns um, leaping to the sound of thin, accursed flutes, and um, yeah, this is uh, it's an uh, eggipon, which is uh, I pulled it up. It's it's, it's a specific pan, pan, though, but it's it's yeah. not just a regular one. It's um, mm. It's goat. It's goat pan. So mm. I guess that's what that literally translates to. Um, yeah, it's saying it's distinct from the god pan. Yeah, like some works say he's the father of pan and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, you know so there's other things. It's really neat. He's pulling from, mm. uh, I guess, Greco-Roman lore. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a lot of Greek in here. Yeah, and then that uh, the, I guess the Roman Catholic um, pantheon. Yeah, yeah, pantheon, but you've but more. yeah, but you've got Gorgo, who's sort of a primeval Gorgon, you know, potentially the father of Medusa and things like that. There's our Mormo, which apparently is a va- female vampire-like creature in stories told to Greek children to stop from misbehaving. Uh, yeah, so Mormo is probably. So um, some of the names feel sprinkled in, but this is like yeah. a spe- very specific um, mm. entry where uh, Mormo uh, from the from the Wikipedia entry uh, was a spirit who bit bad children and was said to have been a companion of the goddess Hecate, which he does mention by name. Um, mm. But this is the name to signify a female vampire-like creature um, that was told to greet children to keep them from misbehaving, but Mormo would yeah. steal children in revenge. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. Uh, of a queen, Lestragonian, who was deprived of her children. Uh, but that 
ties into all the kidnappings uh, that are like talked about in the story. So I think Mm -hmm. if you're reading this and not familiar with Mormo, it just seems like a almost a made up name, but it's a specific name drop uh, to to reference these children that um, he's in uh, Malone is investigating these, you know, disappearances. Yeah. Yeah. And you got, you got other things like a uh, Maloch sort of has a Greco Roman association, uh, sort of this bronze statue heated with fires, you know, fueled by child sacrifices and things like that. Uh, Astaroth actually seems kind of like an outlier. I mean, from the information we have from the, uh, from Wikipedia, it's just, Something in demonology is sort of the great Duke of Hell, sort of sitting equal with Beelzebub and Lucifer, and feels really sort of out of place compared to all the other well, uh, sort of more Greek-based um, things here. I did Lilith, read the second bullet uh, from Astaroth. Yeah. So, to others, he teaches mathematical science and handicrafts, can make oh. men invisible and lead them to hidden treasures, and answers every question formulated to him. He was also said uh, to give mortal beings the power over serpents. Um, I think that mm. is meant to be uh, a point of contact, maybe for um, Sudam, and uh, something okay. illustrating that he's drawing on higher powers. Uh, mm. you know, mm. Even though they, as in, infernal, they may be. Yeah. Okay. So it's sort of a blending of pantheons, yeah. kind of thing going and on. Same thing with um, Moloch. Uh, the the Phoenician god was identified with the god Cronus um, due to the uh, parallel theme of Cronus devouring children. So again, there's mm. there's a lot to do with um, uh, uh, sacrifice of infants. Um, unfortunately, mm. well, it's a horror story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Uh, what do you think of all this name dropping, uh, John? Was it sort of just Seemed a bit like a meaningless faff, or did you get some of the references? Uh, I got some of the references. Like, they mentioned Gorgo. My mind immediately made that, like, Gorgon, and it turns yeah, out yeah. I was Which onto is, something. Yeah, correct. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Agapan, uh, I'm familiar with Pan. Mm. Uh, never heard of Mormo. Yeah, most of the other ones, like, I don't really get, except for uh, Samael, because... I'm a big fan of the movie Hellboy, and even though it's not a true, like it's not a true rendition of Samael, at least the name was familiar. Yeah, yeah. And like the the name Sephiroth is thrown around, and I only know that from Final Fantasy. Turns out, yeah, it it, it was from somewhere. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. no, like the most of the names didn't mean much to me, but they were like they were intriguing names. Like everything written mm. there, I want to know more about. Because evidently, since they were written there, they're a big deal. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. It's kind yeah. of one of the stories where you sort of spurred on to actually do a little research yourself. Yeah. Like I'm. I'm definitely going to visit some of these links. <laughs> I'll. Um. I'll put in a link. There's a. I think it's still in print. There's a book. It's. I want to say it's called the Encyclopedia of Demonology. Um, mm. I I picked it up. Ooh, at that a, sounds like a good book. Yeah, I, I <laughs> happened across a um, first edition printing in a used bookstore Ooh. once. It's like from 1926, I think. 
so it's like it's super old the the, the copy that I have. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it has uh, all of these um, demons and, and many many more uh, with mm. like encyclopedic entries that as far as I've run across, haven't been um, reproduced in either Wikipedia or other online um, uh, like journal entries, I guess. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. It, it's, it's pretty extensive. It's it's like 300 pages of, of entries just on wow. um, demons and wow. various um, occult uh, monsters. Hey, I'll, um, oh, man. I'll see if I can figure out the like a lot title of, these of entries. It. A lot of these entries would make some really good D and D monsters. I might show these to my brother because. Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm going to be game. pulling, I'm going to be pulling this exact scene at some point. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll uh, see if I can find that the title of that book and uh, toss it in the notes. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, awesome. You can't find the title of the book. I mean, it, I'm sure there's some very credible Wikipedia links. Yeah. Yeah, um, there's always more to Uh, All right. So I think that's more or less it. Do we have sort of anything else to cover with uh, the um, horror Red Hook? Uh, I don't think so. I think most of my thoughts there were summed up. Yeah. 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 There's no. I guess we kind of get uh, a revenant in um, Saddam. So mm. I didn't really even talk about it, but at his wedding, he and his wife are both killed. These um, yeah. these boatmen show up and basically lay claim to the body of Saddam, who had written mm. it in his will if something was to happen to him, that these guys, um, there's these particular people, uh, pick him up. And they're, of course, members of his uh, little cult. And yeah, they they bring his body, you know, down to this that extra dimensional space. I mean, it's basically yeah, it's a it's a river sticks. It's the river of the dead. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he, I guess he's successful in <laughs> gaining his yeah. um, otherworldly immortality. Yeah, yeah. It certainly seems that way. Oh, what is it? Da-da-da. Yeah, Lilith, great Lilith, behold the bridegroom. Uh, as he sort of raises up. Yeah, it it seems like he sort of won, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and then that, that that's what leads to the um, destruction of his of his flat. <laughs> mm, yeah, and, uh, our our protagonist is left. Uh, wandering afraid of giant brick buildings. I mean, yes, fair, fair as fair. Uh, ooh, yeah, I mean, one, uh, one connection. Given how this is set, in, ooh, given how this is set in New York, that couldn't have been very fun for him. Like no. a fear of oh. all day. That, <laughs> oh no, that's no, not you great. Would not back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, one connection I did just remember. Um, this this particular story uh, gave Red Hook Studios of. Uh, Darkest Dungeon fame, their name, uh, which if you're interested in the works of Lovecraft, I would definitely say check out Darkest Dungeon because it's really great. <laughs> I might have really to look sort into of, that. Yeah, no, it really captures it. Um, 
they they got a fantastic voice actor to do the narration because uh it, it's so, it's sort of a tactical dungeon crawler uh, we might do an episode on it at some point uh, but every 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 sort of major instant the narrators you know it's like you know you get critically hit by an enemy and you hear a crippling blow <laughs> and things like that you know you you get a critical attack it's like hope shines even in the darkest hours there's really really great voice acting especially and a great art style as well uh if you guys have a chance you should definitely give it a go yeah um it's on sale right now or this is bundled with the um uh, the dlc expansion dlc that yeah. just came out so yeah. yeah it's on sale on the uh, psn as far as i know mm. yeah no definitely definitely check it out i've had tons of fun with it and again very lovecraft inspired very lovecraft-esque yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have anything else to to add, uh, John? Uh, not not quite. No, I think uh, like a lot of the references. I already went through that. Like that. That's about it for me for the story. Like I don't think I'll reread this one, but it was good. It, it got good descriptors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what I'll fall back on. <laughs> if nothing else, like Lovecraft knows how to say reread. Yeah, it do, it does drag a bit, which, as you mentioned, is sort of one of love was one of Lovecraft's own complaints about it. Yeah, that's why, like, I haven't gone through and read uh, at the Mountains of Madness because if this one's worth oh man, on a bit, that one just that one puts little novels in between all the important bits. It does. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, I was... Well, I think I was about to say that uh, that pretty much wraps us up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. John, uh, if people want to contact you, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, the easiest place to find me is on Twitter at 99dexterity. That is two nines and the word dexterity. I'm also on Instagram under that same name. Oh, nice. All right. Makes that pretty easy. Uh, Cameron, mm-hmm. where can we find you? Uh, you can find me uh, as well on Twitter. I'm at night underscore twitten. That's a night without a K. Uh, feel free to come and chat. I am always love talking. And also, if you're playing Destiny 2, you come play Destiny 2 with me. I'm having a great time, and I want more people to play with. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, you can find me on Twitter at sentianot underscore plus. Um, as usual, that will be in the notes. Uh, yeah, this was pretty fun, guys. Uh, John, yeah, thanks for uh, stopping by. Uh, we appreciate you uh, guesting on this episode. Of course, man. It's a pleasure. Like, not too many people I encounter on a, on like a daily basis know of Lovecraft or his work, so it's always a pleasure to actually discuss it. Mm, mm. It's with nice people to be able who to talk. actually know the work. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's good to be able to talk it over. <laughs> Yeah, um, and yeah, we'll. Uh, so many people I encounter on campus that are like, I've never heard of HP Lovecraft, and I was like, that that makes me sad. <laughs> well, we're spreading the word, I guess. So um, yep, yep. Yeah. Reaching the, uh, we'll return uh, to some of this later on. Yes, please. <laughs> it was an absolute pleasure, guys, and thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. thanks for yeah. coming anytime. All right, and. Uh, 
yeah, that, that's a wrap from us, guys. So, bye. Bye-bye. Have a nice day. <laughs>